Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of The Shapes of Stories, and yeah, really excited to bring you uh, this episode as I'm joined by the wonderful Sean Harris, who's, um, yeah, done incredibly well in the world of comedy writing, and it was really great just... Uh, talk and run writer to another and um you know finding out about that world of what it's like writing in comedy that's you know a lot different to my world of writing for children's um children's novels for sure but um yeah Sean's had some amazing success and uh yeah it was just great learning all about her and um yeah and you know she was really great to talk to lots of fun and uh yeah and uh, I can't wait to talk to her some more in in the future um so yeah um really uh, interesting chat I had with Sean and yeah can't wait for you guys to listen to it so here it is my chat with the wonderful Sean Harris. Um, it's just kept us totally sane and it's a, such a good way of keeping in touch with people with friends and it just gives you something to focus on doesn't it rather than yeah. oh my god yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, how did you? When did your podcast start? Was that right before the first lockdown, or was it a bit longer? Was so it was just when? Yeah, when was the first March? So it was we started in June officially. I mean, we'd done a radio show together before on Radio Wales, and um, and yeah, we'd always kind of thought about doing a podcast, and it just seemed like the perfect excuse, really, because we were locked up together, <laughs> and it's a great excuse to see mates and talk shit. You know, so yeah. yes. So yeah, it's really odd, and as you say, it's really nice to have something to focus on, isn't it? That isn't all yeah. doom and gloom. Yeah, and your dog features in it as well, right? I've seen. <laughs> oh my god, it's such a clever thing to do because she just interrupts us constantly. So we just well, we may as well roll with it and use it as a marketing. Generally, just involve the dog, yeah, and then it kind of explains <laughs> why there's such massive barks in the background. Yeah. Have you been able to get, sort? I guess, over a lockdown as well, have you been able to do much writing or any sort of creativity stuff like that? To, a weird thing happened, right? When, I, when it first started, I wasn't able to uh, read or write for a good few right. weeks. And I don't know about you, but it absolutely freaked me out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I still don't quite know what it was. Maybe it was just shock or trauma. It all felt quite dramatic, didn't it? And I yeah. think... Um, from our point of view, Rod was on tour in Ireland, and Ireland locked down before the UK did. And um, so Rod had this call from his agent saying, Ireland is locking down. You need to go to the airport tonight, right? Which is quite dramatic, isn't it? So <laughs> so we get, we get this information, whilst people in London, and especially Wales at the time, my parents, we're all very, oh, it's not really happening. It's just, no, it's not real, you know. So we got that kind of very dramatic message before other people started getting it, I think. So right. I think for me that was such a um, a kind of shock and the fact that not everyone was on board, <laughs> you know, because my parents were still going, 
I think it's just a London thing, Sean. I think people in London are going a bit mad. And I was like, it's a global... <laughs> There's bloody London. Yeah, I mean it's London, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. So I found it so stressful. I think I think I may have just had some kind of not like it's, it sounds really dramatic, doesn't it? To have to say like a, a breakdown, but it wasn't a breakdown. But something happened where everything slowed down, and I wasn't able mm-hmm. to to read or write for a while, a good few couple of months. And to me, that was such a. Um, well, it was so alien because that's what I've done to deal with everything since yeah. I was a child. You know, if you're in a if you're in a bad place, you go to read, you write something. So I was like, well, what am I going to do then? There's no. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I found it a bit like that. I think as well, like at first, because you know, when the first sort of lockdown happened, I had a couple of weeks just been like, oh yeah, this is nice. It's kind of like a little holiday sort of thing, and then yeah, then you had that period where it was like, okay, well, let me try and do something productive and read and write, but because like. My writing, when I was writing and sort of working on children's books and stuff, thinking I usually have a routine and a schedule, but because that was all out the window and I could do it at my own luxury, it sounds silly. Like, even though I had more time to write, it was harder because it was just like, yeah, well, my my schedule and my routine when I go to the gym and have meetings and I go to London, like, the little slot that I would have to fit in writing, I know that would be the time I have to write. And that's when I had to do it. But when when it was sort of the whole day was open... I just found it really difficult, and so you start having like self doubts, like maybe the the well's running dry, and I'm just I don't know, and I can't think of any ideas. Is that it? You know, and yeah, but I think you know you sort of pick yourself back up. But yeah, at first, like that period where it was there was just too much time to have to write. I found it so more difficult. Yes, and all, yeah, as you say, like the lack of structure, but also the lack of um. For me, it was it was so terrifying because ever since I was a toddler, that's where that's what helps usually. You know, if you're feeling a little bit um oh, I don't know what to do and my inspiration's running dry and I'll go and watch something. I'll go and do something. And this time I was like, I can't do anything. <laughs> and it was so bad. In the end, I think I read a book that I'd read um, in my 20s, which was really easy to read and really kind of, I knew it off by heart because I read it. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't deep. It wasn't, <laughs> it didn't mean anything. It was. It wouldn't make me think of my own life <laughs> Do you know, it was just really comforting and colorful and I think I also started coloring in a lot coloring in I see lots I know lots of people that do this but lots of people like sort of swear by it and I'm like coloring in but like people really get into it yeah I was the same I was like as if come on but honestly all I would do because I couldn't even watch tv I couldn't even I, I couldn't concentrate on anything that was a narrative so I, ha- I bought this um, colouring in book of man- mandalas, you know, those beautiful shapes. And I, I would just colour them in in front of the TV um, with highlighter pens. And my husband would be like, you look like somebody who <laughs> has had a breakdown. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. But I, would, I was just thoroughly enjoying myself. And I would, after I'd finished them, I would show them to him and go, what do you think? And he'd be like, yeah. <laughs> Stick it on the fridge. <laughs> I'm going to say <laughs> but it was it was really comforting and I think it was the um it was therapeutic in that you could see progress happening quite instant mm-hmm. instantaneously you know yes I've done all that bit of yellow doesn't that look good <laughs> that small <laughs> lockdown life eh <laughs> mad yeah. So it was was com- has comedy always been a part of your life, even as like a kid, like you say also when you were a toddler and stuff, like was it always been around? Yes. 
Um, I, um, when I was really little, I got cystitis. <laughs> this is, yeah, yeah, oh wow. And um, the only way my parents could stop me from crying was to put um, uh, faulty towers on. They fa- so they realized that very, very young age, the only way to stop pay- crying was to put a comedy on. And I was too young to understand, all, you know, the nuances and stuff. But I could tell by the rhythm that it was... And also, it was very visual, isn't it, Forty Towers? And I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think since then, I've been a bit hooked on that rhythm. And a very early understanding of, if you want to feel better, all you need to do is find things funny. Do you know what I mean? And then you start looking at everything through that prism, especially when you're going through a tough time. It's very handy. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like uh, Ricky Gervais? I think has said it before. I always see him on Twitter and quotes and stuff. He says anything can be funny, but there's some. But I think like as a culture now, we're almost scared to kind of say things in case we offend. Do you fight? But do you think we have to kind of get over that a little bit more? Because I think we are living in it, we are living in a world where you kind of oh I thought something really funny, but I don't know where I should say it or not. <laughs> I think I think the difference is I think you've got to be ready to take responsibility for what you say. So if you, if you say something and you find it funny, that's fine. You can say, you say it, but then but then you stand by it. And if people do take offence by it, then that's not within your control. That's not that is up to those people, and you have to take responsibility for it. You can't. People seem to get offended that their jokes are offending people. Do you know what I mean? It's this whole. I think it's just about being adults and going. I can't control anyone else's reaction. If you find something genuinely funny, then you will find... You, do you know what I mean? I don't think we're going to change people who find certain things funny. They will, yeah, just yeah. underground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. I mean, even, it's even like... But for, for an example, I, I mentioned this one story to my friend. It was years ago, my dad, you know, he had... Luckily, he's fine now. He had cancer and he had an operation. And uh, when he was having the operation, this doctor... He was a Scottish doctor, and I can't do a Scottish accent, so I probably won't do this joke justice... But um, he had to have, when he was having the operation, he obviously had to get put to sleep. I used the drug propofol. And propofol is the drug that killed Michael Jackson, right? That killed, yeah, yeah. So that was the drug that Michael Jackson overdosed on. He was taking it to treat insomnia. Whereas you meant to use it, you know, to knock people out for surgery. And Michael Jackson was using it to sleep. And, you know, and he said to, to, to me, my dad, before he was going into the operating room, you know, we call this the Michael Jackson drug and all this because he was taking it to sleep. And he said, taking propofol to sleep is like doing chemo because you want to shave your fucking head. <laughs> and that's funny. When I told my friend that story, she was horrified. She was like, the doctor said, she was like, you can't say jokes about that. You can't make jokes about chemo. But it's like, well, the context isn't offending, offensive, I don't think. <laughs> well, no, and it's, it is so um, personal, isn't it? And also, like, as I'm a firm believer. It's, it is so personal. I can't, I have no response, not responsibility, that's not the right word, but I have no control over what other people find offensive or not. Mm-hmm. And you do, you can tie yourself up in knots trying to think, oh God, who is going to find this offensive now and what's, what's happening? But it, I think it's as valid that some people deal with trauma with laughter Honest to God, because I do. I know that I get through really traumatic experiences by laughing at them. But I think it all boils down to who's in control and who has the power. That's what I keep yeah, coming yeah. back to. So I don't I don't feel good making fun of people who are not able to to punch back or you know what I mean? I it has to be punching up. So I think yeah. if you're making a joke about cancer, 
you are punching up because cancer can get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a bugger. <coughs> he deserves to be knocked down, cancer does. But, um, but whereas if you're making a joke about a, a minority group, I mean, they don't have that. They don't have the power. Do you know what I mean? It's all mm-hmm. about power yeah. structure. And it's so, but it's up to the individual what they feel comfortable with, what they're. But then you have to take responsibility. If you offend somebody, then step up. You know that you did offend somebody. Don't get yeah. offended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you try not to think about it too much when you're writing about with someone? Because I think the more you sort of, I suppose, worry about that whilst you're writing, you kind of can sort of ruin that flow a little bit. I suppose you can. You can really end up um, offending people, but then not being. I try and be authentic, and I think um, you know when when you've made a joke and you think, "Oh, that works as a joke." You know, it works as a joke, but I wouldn't feel comfortable putting that out there because I would find that offensive. If that, you know what I mean? You can, yeah. you just know there's a feeling in the pit of your stomach, and and you know what I mean. Like it's it's really interesting, isn't it? And sometimes you can say things again through anger or. It's like you would say things with your friends that you wouldn't necessarily say on a global stage, you know, because yeah. you know, you know the context and you know that you're trying to get something off your chest and you know that, it, but it's exactly the same with all comedy, not even things that could be seen as offensive. You know, if you're slagging off your boss, you wouldn't do that in public, would you? Because it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to get the sack. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? You, yeah, it is a... You can tie yourself in knots in it, but it's that it's that rule of always punching up, always punch towards the power, you know, because yeah. otherwise it, I don't find it comfortable. The the other stuff. Yeah, I get. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, do, do, was writing always a part of like you when you were a child as well, like writing comedy? Did you enjoy it then? When I the first ever game I used to play was going out into the garden and. Um, just with the pile of papers and just doing joined up writing. So it wasn't real yeah. writing, it was just squiggles. So I think I was playing at writing before I could write. <laughs> and I, But I had no idea that you could write comedy. You know, it's one of those classic, I just thought it existed. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that you could actually write it. But then I had a, um, a next door neighbour who was obsessed with the bill, you know, the TV <laughs> Oh, the bill, yeah. Which every actor's been in, right? <laughs> she was obsessed with it, and she, her favourite game, she was a bit older than I was, was um, writing scripts for it. So she'd, she'd be about 15, maybe, and I was 10. So I was quite young, and I'd never seen the bill, because I was 10. <laughs> so that was, like, my first... I think it was, like, a writer's room, really, where I would, you know, pitch ideas, and she'd be like, no, that wouldn't... That wouldn't work on the... Not on the bill. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and um yeah so but that that kind of I think what that did was train me and not train me I mean it wasn't a serious writer's room but it kind of made me think of script writing as a game and to get used to that idea of pitch an idea if it's wrong it doesn't matter it's a game do you know what I mean yeah. it wasn't new to me it was just something I did for fun yeah, uh, what, what I guess what were the comedies that you really? I mean, you mentioned Forty Towers that you really enjoyed. You know, sort of inspired you, I guess, to get into comedy writing. Um, Alan Partridge was a huge part yeah. <laughs> of yeah. my life. Um, so when I first started to listen to his audio cassettes to begin with, I remember we were on a trip to um, where were we going? The Alps. 
trips with the school. You know, one of those trips where. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it take. Why were we driving to the Alps? It takes so long, yeah. <laughs> and the bus broke down, and it was just hell. And but the guy I was sitting next to had um, Alan Partridge on cassette, and I remember just we laughed for about eight hours, just listening to it over and over, and that just started a real love relationship with everything Steve Coogan has done and everything that entire gang has done, you know. So you've got the day-to-day and Brass Eye and it just kind of mushroomed from there. And, yeah, so really, I really got into it at that point. And, um, yeah, it just kind of saved me, really, that comedy. Just really, you know, as I said, it's it's so good if you're feeling a little bit unsure of yourself or laughter is so good for you yeah if you I mean I suppose if you had to like sort of go to bat and they said you know you've got to pick a camp of the best British comedy which would you know which would you kind of want to sort of represent if you had to make the make the case for you know the best British comedy do you mean program yeah I guess like sitcom program yeah um oh god like overall I suppose it would have to be Alan Partridge that you know, and also it would be just in terms of what it means to me. I'd never seen that it was so new. The fact that you know, his knowing me, knowing you with Alan Partridge, that thing of it's satire. There's a real audience, but also it's it's a, a talk show, and it was just I just found it so clever, and the guests are all in on it, and they're all characters. Is it improvised? Is it scripted? You know what I mean? Yeah. I found it, I just found it amazing and it blew me away. And that level of irony, the fact that everything mm-hmm. he says is ironic. And yeah, it was a proper game changer for me, I think. Yeah. I mean, we are living in, you know, I guess, a bit of a world where we have, you know, the phrase that, the phrase that keeps coming up now and again is cancel culture, isn't it? Things are getting cancelled and stuff. And, you know, I, I think there's some things we've kind of thrown away from and, you know, we can't, yeah, we, I don't know how we got away with certain things. You know, I was a big fan of Little Britain, but some of their scenes you think, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And, um, but even stuff... At the time, stuff, we all kind of just went, oh, okay. I was, you know, how, I mean, I was quite young when that came out. Well, not yeah. young, but 20. And I was like, oh, it's quite, it's funny, isn't it? They're just a yeah. character. And now you go, what? yeah. You kind of look at wow. That, I guess it's quite nice to kind of go. Well, look how far we've come. Like that was acceptable then, and like now we can look back at some of the scenes and the rhythmic. Some of it was great. Like I loved the. My favorite one was the Fat Fires <laughs> woman. Like Marjorie, like, I thought that was brilliant. Like you know, but some of the scenes, some of the characters were a bit much. But even like stuff they would say, you know, oh well, in between is a Monty Python. These are brilliant programs. Like, and some people are really sort of like fighting for them to be off screen and cancelled but like especially Monty Python that's a huge part of like British culture like Eddie Izzard you know saying you know that was a massive part of um, her comedy um, upbringing you know and it's it's crazy to think that some people want to sort of erase that it's mad isn't it because oh as I said it just comes down to the individual and I don't think you can force your own that's when people get upset is when you force your own your own like opinions on other people you know so it's like if it offends you then don't no but I do understand that in a greater context but um no it is it's it's a really really complicated 
<laughs> situation. Should we look back and ban things in hindsight? Or do you know what I mean? Because Life of Brian was banned at the time. Yeah. And it was banned in Swansea until like very recently. <laughs> Which, you know, uh, because of the religious connotations and... Which, which we now find like really funny, but at the time, you know, sensibilities are going to change all the time, and I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. It's that punching up and punching down, isn't it? And I think, I do think it's the up to the individual when you watch something now, and if you feel like, oh, that's punching down, then you won't feel comfortable watching it. Yeah. No, I, I, I get you. I, I think with Monty Python as well, they were quite when they when the, even when the film came out, they were. Obviously, they were kind of um, labelled as ridiculing Christianity and ridiculing Christ and things like that. But they would come out and say, I don't think we are doing that. Like, you know, we don't do that at all. And I think I watched it again recently. And I'm like, actually, they, they're not actually ripping on faithful Jesus or anything like that, really. But I guess it's because it's the, it's the scene of, you know, the end scene, I suppose, you know, the cross and crucifixion a, a bit. But Quite um, uh, dramatic, isn't it, that scene? And I'd forgotten yeah. how, just how the visual that kind of, it is so dramatic, <laughs> the visuals of it. I mean, yes, it's so funny. It's ri- it's ridiculing the the madness that uh, that is around somebody mm-hmm. who, you know what I mean? who they label as the Messiah. (laughs) It's that madness, isn't it? The following of that, I guess. So, yeah, it's just bonkers. And I think, as I said, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I think it's down to the individual. And I think if you're willing, if you do find, if you do find things funny and you say them, you do have to take responsibility you are going to offend somebody. You know what I mean? You have to... Yeah. I think a lot of people, as I said before, a lot of people are getting offended that other people take offence, which is <laughs> mad, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? It, yeah. it works both ways, I think. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it, it does open the argument that the less controversial you are, right, and it takes... I guess people say you're writing smart, right? Like if you can write, you know, like stuff like Peter Kay does. Like Peter Kay isn't particularly controversial, but he's a brilliant writer because he just takes everyone's day-to-day stuff and is brilliant at what he does because he doesn't really... I don't even think Peter Kay particularly uses language, like bad language very much or controversial. He's just very... in Just in the car, isn't he? He swears a little bit, I think. But yeah, like just like... When he's doing the car share programme, it's just literally references about every day going to work sort of stuff there was it? some stuff wasn't there about phoenix nights which you know again you know do you remember the 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 um the asian characters that they had no you know you mentioned it yeah but you see but you see again that's something that at the time i had no idea about and now i go yes of course of course yeah. and yeah. i think we're, we're all just changing with what of course some people would see it like that of course it's um, it's weird, isn't it? You just learn as you go along, and I'm, I find it, I find it fascinating. It's constantly a question that we're trying to explore because also you can't play it safe. If you want to be funny, you have to say things. A lot of my funniest things, <laughs> funniest things. When I write, I think I'm funniest when I'm angry with somebody or when I'm angry at something. I always try and punch up, as I was saying, so politically it'll be towards, you know, people in power or people who have all the money or, you know what I mean? 
because it's for me personally it is funnier when you're when you have an axe to grind and you can do it in an unique way I that brings out my funny side I find it very oh I don't I can't remember what my original point was but yeah if you're if you have yeah so playing it safe doesn't always pay off mm. you know it's yeah. nice to show a little bit of bite but you don't have to do it towards groups who can't bite back is my point yeah with yeah no I know I know what you mean when you were sort of getting into sort of television writing and writing your sitcoms was there I mean how did that all come about was there a lot of ideas that that you first had that sort of you had and they kind of got you know just like not you know sort of thrown away and then you sort of kept going back to the drawing board and like you said that idea of playing the game I suppose of does this work you know does this work and then sort of chopping and changing bits until you felt like oh this is the thing that I there's something in this is it a bit like that for you um well it was a bit of um it's odd because it you don't in comedy you don't unless you do stand-up I think because stand-up tends to be more of a there's a visible ladder of achievement so you can kind of go up and then you know and then you stay there for a bit and then maybe you go up again you get a bigger gig a bit more pay people start to know you you get on on tv you know there's a very visible obvious ladder that you climb and I don't think writing is like that in this country it may be like that in America but on this country you can be writing a really big show and then that comes to an end and then you kind of go, oh, OK, I'll write on this smaller show, which is more kind of art house and I really enjoy it. But it's not as popular or mainstream as that one. It's far more kind of, it's like a little buffet. Do you know what I mean? A little, mm-hmm. diff- all different jobs of different sizes. And so you usually rent, you know, I, you know, I write for radio, TV, internet, some live stuff for people working on, you know, when people are on panel shows, writing gags for them. So... I don't know, I think, how did I start? I started off writing sketches. I'm really lucky because my first language is Welsh. So I had an entire playground to play in where there's fewer people playing, (laughs) if you know what I mean. So it's far more, there's room to play and there's room to make mistakes and there's room to develop and there's room to just mess around you know and that that was such a big gift and also I went to school with um Ellis James who's a comedian and him and me and him were really good mates from the age of like 10 onwards so we were friends all the way through big school and then through university as well and we lived together and we used to write together and I think we were incredibly lucky because we bounced off each other and you kind of bolster one another and so when he started doing stand-up, I started writing, going to writers' rooms and writing for the Now Show and uh, Newsjack on Radio Four. And so I think it's I think it's just that that's what I was doing. I was writing sketches. Some of them were getting on. Some of them got onto S4C, the Welsh language uh, TV channel. Some of them would get onto Newsjack. Some of them would get on, you know, lines of mine would be used on the Now Show maybe. Um, but yeah, it was never a kind of solid thing, <laughs> like one piece. It was always bits, you know, it's very bitsy. Yeah. Especially if you don't do stand-up. Stand-up, you can just work on your little bit five minutes of material until it becomes ten, and then you know it inside out. And Whereas if you're a writer, you don't really have that to begin with. Well, I didn't have it. So, um, so yeah, and then 
what happened for me is we I moved to London and um, I got accepted to do I went for a job as a, a comedy producer on Radio 4 I didn't get it but I, w- I wasn't really I didn't want to be a comedy producer you know when you have you ever done this where you go for a job and you're like please don't let me get it I'm just yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. I don't, yeah. it's not me, but I wanted to be in that department. I love comedy, I'm obsessed with it. And I went for the job, I got down to the final two, and I was like, how am I going to, I don't want it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And thankfully, I didn't get it, but they phoned me up and went, you haven't got it. And I was like, oh, oh dear. <laughs> but, and they said, oh, but we do want you to come in as a writer, because we think you'd be... A great writer and it was just it was such a an, a lesson in because I was all ready to pull out I was like I don't want to waste their time I don't want to but somebody very wise um a mentor I had at the time Jill Offman who was working in um, Comedy Central told me just go in and meet them and show just show them how good you are you know and that's so mm. alien to you know what I mean you're like what but I'm going to be wasting their time they're going to be so angry with me but then just meeting people and showing them what your sense of humor is like so that's how I started I went in to do a mini bursary with them where I got to write on the now show and new jack and loads of different comedy shows and then Greg Davis asked me to we were friends with Greg anyway but he asked me to co-write man down with him which is such a leap isn't it from yeah <laughs> from like just starting out to to then doing that and so yeah that's how it came about really yeah and I mean when you started writing with Greg what was that I guess that process like you're writing a, a, a sick going from that to writing a sitcom with Greg Davis like <laughs> it's weird because we're friends with him like he's best mates with my husband and so mm-hmm. I've been friends with him for 10 years so us writing together wasn't like a wasn't a big deal oh that sounds awful but it wasn't um wasn't daunting or you know no. Playing it as a kid, you know, I didn't find it. Um, it was just us having a laugh in Greg's flat, <laughs> and and I love it. I'm, you know, I love all that plotting and structure, and yeah, and I feel like I've been doing it since I was a child. So it was, it wasn't daunting. It it, it is sometimes daunting when you meet when you do that with somebody you don't know. That's really difficult. When you, mm-hmm. Not really difficult, but it can be difficult because you're both very polite. And you're both, you know, just going, oh, yes, that's funny. Write it down. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You haven't got, you don't know each other very well enough yet. So you can't say, no, I don't think that's, what, or at least I can't say that. I'm not not very good at saying no. So, um, but with Greg, it was very, no, mate, that, that's mad. You know what I mean? You could, we could easily admit to each other if something wasn't working. Yeah. So that was good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And I, and I suppose, I mean... I suppose you could, do you get people ask you like look at my stuff that I've written could you <laughs> yeah and how how is the, is that tough for you because you know like I guess more so if you had like friends or anything like that so I've got this idea for a sitcom and it's a bit like me I get people ask I've got an idea for a children's book and you ask to yeah they say I'll send it to you and you kind of go oh it's not <laughs> it's it's good <laughs> and yeah it, it, I don't know I don't know what your experience is but in in the past, I've now I have a friend who is inundated because he also does a lot of producing, and um, or he has done in the past, but now he's focusing on writing. 
And he's had to tell people, please don't send them to me because if I, I'm currently um, being commissioned to write something and if something of mine ends up, if something that is similar to your idea mm. through absolutely no reason, just subconsciously ends up in my script, then I will be in trouble. So I'm, I'm not reading anything anyone else is sending me at the moment. Ah, okay. Which is so uh, legally <laughs> watertight, isn't it? That's the, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a really good thing to, to take on board, I think, because that, I have heard of that happening, of people going, mm. I sent you my idea, and then, you know, years later, a similar storyline cropped up. You must have taken it. And they're like, I didn't read your idea, <laughs> you know. So there's a kind of minefield that could happen. So my, my advice to, to new writers is send it. Producers are the people you need to be targeting, I think, because yeah. producers are the ones who hire and who are looking for voices. And so send them to people who are producing shows you think you can write for or you want to write for. That's what I would say. Yeah, I suppose there's that that fear of the criticism I suppose people are kind of like I, I, I don't want I, I don't want that kind of opinion I want you know a nice person to kind of just say it's lovely and you know make me feel better and yeah it's like you're before your time and, and all this uh, but yeah you've got um, it's really difficult isn't it it's, it's difficult isn't it yeah it's difficult to kind of especially if it's not good and you kind of go and you've got to give that feedback <laughs> and it's, but then in the know, past I've given when I was first starting out, you know, you want to be very pleasing and you want to be very kind yeah. to every single person, which is, of course you do, but there, there comes a point where you need quite healthy um, boundaries, otherwise all of your time is going to be spent looking at other people's stuff and not on your own. Mm -hmm. um, I used to spend ages getting back to people with copious notes and then not hear anything. And I'd be like, <laughs> I spent hours going through your stuff. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's happened. It's happened to me before. Like someone says to me, um, "Yeah, like I've got this idea for a, a book and all this," and, and and they'll tell me, you know, they'll um, where do I start? I've got this. I've got a great idea for a story. It's it's always I've got a good idea. It's never I've written anything. It's like I've got an idea for something. <laughs> it's like I've got this good idea, and they, you send me an email about this idea. I haven't started writing it yet, but like. I don't know where to start and who I'd send it to and I'll send them contacts, I'll send them like um, writers' uh, websites and, you know, um, things that can help them and support. And then a couple of months later, oh, how's, how's the writing going? Oh, no, I haven't started yet. <laughs> and you kind of go, I've just spent that time. Like, I spent like a good hour, like, getting giving you resources to help you out. And it's like four months, it's like, oh, no, nah, no. Nah. No, it's, it's uh, infuriating. I think you just have to learn from that. and. Yeah. Have a stock, have a stock information thing that you send. You know, it comes yeah. to that. Unless it's obviously someone I've worked with, or you know, then that's fine. But yeah. um, yes, I think it's really interesting. You can't, you do, and I do this when I'm when I'm writing a script. I can't watch any other comedy. I can't do it. So it's actually a, it's actually a compliment if I if I say to somebody, I can't read your stuff when I'm writing my own stuff because I will subconsciously take things. Yeah. I just do. I absorb things. That's what people, you know, if I go to a cafe and there's a woman with a funny voice, she's going in. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I, I was, I was even just like, uh, when I was writing a, a book, I, I was, it was this thing. I was watching the office quite religiously, like sort of recapping on the office. And, um, 
Yeah, and I was writing a, a book at the time, and I was writing about his head teacher at school. And I started, and I, as I was rereading it, editing, I was like, oh no, I, I've literally done David Brent as a head teacher. <laughs> so yeah, you know, and you, when you reread it back, it's like, yeah, I'm, I've, done, I've done David Brent as head teacher. I had to completely rewrite it because I was just like, I need to completely change that character. Uh, but yeah, it's just subconsciously, it just happens, isn't it? <laughs> he is such a difficult character. He's so, um, what's the word, pungent? <laughs> you can't, you can't clear his odour. You know what I mean? If you watch yeah. Surface, he's in your head for weeks afterwards. So, and yeah. that's such a great um, example of writing. But yeah, it's really difficult, isn't yeah. it? I see, I've seen so many people do a David Brand. Yeah. It's so hard. You, you, I drop quotes of David Brent that I don't realise that I'm dropping sometimes, just in conversation. Just going, yeah. No, you know, say that. My brother today, um, was it Gary Neville? Like, I think somebody was doing a Q&A today online, and he was saying, Q&A starts in 15 minutes. And my brother, we're big Partridge fans, my brother yeah. um, just tweeted underneath, are you in favour of the, of the death penalty? <laughs> Which is a quote from Partridge. And I was like... He may not understand Alan Partridge's quotes. <laughs> Do you, yeah. you just asked a footballer? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah, it's so easy to slip into. Yeah, so I, I suppose what are the, like, I guess, like, um, if you had to deal with, like, feedback that's been a bit hard to take on board sometimes and how you've had to take that on, is it going to be difficult sometimes to, I suppose when you most started out, probably when you were new to it, like when people were sort of saying, no, I don't like this idea and you'd kind of have to throw it away. And I guess it could be really difficult to let parts of stuff that you've written go sometimes. I think it's, um, it's different every time, isn't it? And I think actually it can actually get more difficult. I think the more established you are, as well, oh, okay. I think, because when you're starting out, I, I know what you mean. Like when you're starting out, you're like, mm. everything is so precious to you. And then you do mm. begin to, develop a thicker skin in that you're like everything to play for it doesn't matter we're gonna lose you know what I mean some of us will get lost some of us will make it it's fine but then you do tend to if you get the more established you become and then somebody says it's not working I don't understand what you're doing you tend to it's a very human thing to go what do you mean I mean have you seen what I've done in the past you know there's that ego thing that kicks in but then it's usually what I'm learning is that if somebody has a note, even if it's not the right note, the fact that they've given you a note there usually means there's something happening there that needs to be looked at. Something mm -hmm. has made them go, oh, a note is needed. Unless they're one of those people who are literally just giving notes for the sake of it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they may not be, it may not be the right note, but something needs to, Something needs looking at there because they have stopped and gone, ooh, something is up. So that's what I'm learning. But yeah, it can, it, it can be tough. I mean, <laughs> it's really difficult because me and Rod uh, have written together in the past and we just, some people have very different styles of writing. So I'm a big laugher. I laugh at everything. <laughs> and it's great for people who need that <laughs> in the room, right? Because it's a green light and it can help things. Rod isn't a big laugher. So when we were writing together, you know, it, it unnerved me to begin with because I would say something and he'd be like, yeah, that's really good. Write it down. Rather than laughing. So I was like, what, don't we, what is going on? Why aren't you laughing? <laughs> but everyone has different styles. And it's just acclimatising. 
Yeah. I mean, when you, I guess when you wrote Man Down, how, like, from when you wrote that first, the pilot for the first episode, how many sort of, was it like a dramatic change from when it went on air? Had it like dramatically changed much? Well, Greg and Greg had already written the pilot by the time he wanted me to come on and help him. So he had written the pilot and it had been filmed. It had been filmed, hadn't it? Him and Steve Morrison, our other writing partner. Um, it had been filmed and it did develop. It, it, it did. I mean, naturally, you get to know the characters better. You know what it's like. It's You get into the characters. They become fully formed. They become, they have backstories, little sayings. You can talk in their voices. So when we were reading through the scripts, Greg would do his Dan character and I would do Mike Wozniak's which is Brian's and Rasheen's which is Joe so I would do their voices and he would do his but and so because we knew their characters so well you could just riff in their voices you know and then something funny would come out of it where I don't think you could have done that with with the pilot you can't you don't know them as well they're not as you haven't lived in them for for three years you know so yeah it did develop it, it became bigger and madder because we'd kind of hang each other on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, we'd hang each other on. And just there'd be times when we'd be sitting in that room <laughs> and we'd have... When did we learn? Like, we would drink three or four cups of coffee and then go, I can't do any more today. I've had way too much coffee because our notes would be just insane. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it would just be post-its on the wall. One of them would be, like, a picture of an ass, <laughs> Like, a big bottom. And then just mad stuff. And we ended up one day, we went to Brixton Market for just, yeah. you know, just for a spin. <laughs> Things like that. And we're like, guys, we should really get some work done. But, yeah, we would egg each other on. And it did end up being, far, you know, bigger and funnier than we ever set out to do because you just get used to it and you yeah you kind of sync up as writers I think yeah is there anything that I guess you're working on at the minute anything new well I know you probably can't say too much but anything you've got like sitcoms or comedies or Um, everything I've just recorded um a sketch show which is about to go out on Radio Wales where we do a host of funny characters called Welcome Strangers with um Ruth Maddock she's the um the narrator and uh what else i'm working on my own sitcom at the moment which uh yes i can't say too much about but it's about women <laughs> it's about uh yeah it's it's funny hopefully um it's about women and that point in your life where you've kind of you've grown up with each other it's about two best friends and they've grown up with each other, and everything is, even though you don't mention it, everything is kind of a competition, you know, mm-hmm. so career, children, family, yeah. but it's untalked, you know, you don't talk about it. <laughs> but there's that That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're like, I love you so much, you know, and I'm always here for you, you know, but there's secretly other stuff. You can't help it, as, as women in society, you're pitted against each other constantly, who's got it hardest, who's who's successful, who's got the most followers. Um, so that, and I'm also writing a novel, actually. At the oh, moment. brilliant. Yes, um, which I'm loving. It's such a brilliant way of, di- I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You kind of dip, you can dip out of real life for a bit and just spend time over here in this lovely yeah. book land. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So 
I'm really enjoying uh, it. Oh no, that, that sounds great. I mean, what, what do you think the differences are from like comedy writing in the UK and the US? Because like we, I mean, they seem to remake our stuff quite a lot, but we don't seem to remake too much of their stuff. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Do we have we ever? What, what have we remade? I don't. I don't know if we even have. Like we remade. Like I don't think. I mean, they've done. They did in between us and that didn't go well, did it? The office was obviously a huge success there. It's a different beast over there, though, isn't it? It's not. Yeah. It's, this, it's a totally different beast, I think. Yeah, because I, I was a big. I mean, the show that I've really enjoyed recently from the US was Modern Family. I don't know if you've seen that. Family. I've only seen. No, I haven't ever got into it, but I want to. Okay. So many friends like it. Yeah, brilliant. But I'm just like, why has there not been a UK version of this? Because it's such a brilliant sort of concept of, of an idea. But like even that, will fr- but then again, I don't know if you could even touch Friends, could you? Really? I don't know. Friends is too much of a phenomenon. Yeah, you, maybe. You... And I mean, Friends on its own is getting a resurgence at the moment, isn't it? You young people are into it now again, mm-hmm. aren't they? But even and it's interesting what you're saying about cancel culture. Friends is problematic now. Yeah, some of the yeah. in the day we were just all lapping it up, you know. Just yeah. But now you can't. It's so kind of anti-gay and kind of. It's mad when you think about it. All those tropes of why should that be funny that two men are having a night in? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's so 90s, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, we just didn't no. real. I just didn't know. Didn't occur to me. Didn't yeah. occur to anybody. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I, I wondered if it was perhaps, you know, because I, I don't know, I guess US sitcoms, do they have like more of a writing team rather than the UK? They have like dozens of writers, don't they? Just working on an episode, for example. Yes, they do. I would love to be part of that one day. Just, it sounds so exciting to have one big room who are just working on it constantly. And also, I think writers are paid quite well over there. I think that's what I've heard. They they have some clout. And it's seen as, I was reading the other day that I think writers can, there is more of a ladder where you can kind of progress, you know. So you're a staff writer on that one, then you're a showrunner over here. You know, it takes a while, obviously, but there's a definite hierarchy, which is, over here, you're like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? As I said, it's more of a kind of buffet of, right, I'll do a cartoon. Oh, okay, I'll do, I'll do a couple of days on a sitcom. Oh, I'll do some editing. Yeah. It's all a mishmash of kind of hand-to-mouth how you get paid. <laughs> so, yes, uh, that that does sound, I'm quite envious of that. Yeah, so, yeah, so I'm trying to think, it was some, someone mentioned to me that it was a massive, they'd, they'd uh, written in the US and UK and said it was compl- like it was just completely different animal like writing in the US and it was what did they what did they say I'm so interested in it like uh, they, they just meant we, we very briefly spoke about it but they did say like in the US it's just like so it's just you know it's just such a huge issue you have writers sort of like writing on tons and tons of writers writing on one episode just you know and, and like as they're recording the episode writers are writing stuff there and then as they're recording that episode so if like if they friends for example i think they said they they knew someone that worked on friends and they said like basically if they a a, um, if a gag would land on friends it didn't work it didn't get a reaction from the audience there'd be a writer on set to rewrite the complete bit and they'll just try it again rewritten and he just yeah and it was just that was crazy like that sort of idea was crazy because you don't even get the chance you don't even do that with you know with stand-up you don't you know what I mean? That kind of immediate thing in front. You're with stand-up. You're writing it with the audience yeah. because, especially in preview times, because you preview it. Okay, that didn't work. That didn't work. And then you preview it the next night. Okay, that worked better. That worked, I'll pull back on that one. But even that isn't 
on the night, the same night. It's usually over a course of weeks, you know. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy. Yeah, so it was really interesting what they were saying, actually. But yeah, they, they were saying it's just a complete different animal, really, uh, fighting for the US. But I'm sure... I mean, well, they are, they're not re-emerging friends, are they? They're doing a film, is it a film they're doing, or a spin-off, or a special episode, is it? They're doing something. They are, aren't they? There's something going on. I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember. Oh, no, Frasier. Isn't Frasier coming back? Oh, Frasier, yeah. No, I heard that's coming back as well. But I think Friends was doing something. But I can't remember what it was now. Oh. Yeah, so yeah. I heard Frasier's coming back. And um, I to really enjoy Frasier. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I've been watching yeah. old Seinfeld recently. Old Seinfeld. Oh uh, yeah. So yeah, so funny. <laughs> yeah. So clever. Well, have you seen um one of my one other thing I've got got into over the lockdowns? King of Queens. Have you seen that? King of Queens. That's great. And Ben Stiller's dad's in it, isn't he? Arthur's playing Arthur Spooner. Oh, he's he's so he's so brilliant in it, and uh, he was so funny. He was in um, the original Hairspray film, wasn't he? He yeah. was, um, Oh, I love that film. He's such a funny, yeah, f- such a funny performer. So, I mean, if you could have written on any sitcom, what do you think it would have been? If you could have written on any TV show? Oh God, okay. It would be Alan Partridge. The um, I am Alan Partridge. I think that's my favorite one. I think, yeah, the one where he's in a travel tavern. I think that is my absolute favourite one. I'm trying to think. Yeah. That is my favourite one. That is most yeah. my sense of humour. Yeah. Do you watch like, Do you watch those episodes and think, oh, I, I wish I could have like bought this to that and done done a bit more here and or have ideas and stuff? Or I think it's <laughs> I think it's so perfect as it is that I don't that I don't actually. That's, you wouldn't touch it. <laughs> I wouldn't touch it. I think it's so fun. It's so funny and so perfect. You know that have you that bit where he takes Lynn, not Lynn, sorry, um, Jill, his fancy woman, to an owl sanctuary. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so funny, and I keep rewatching it. You know, just <laughs> it's such a funny place to try and go and impress a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, just, yeah. I think it's perfection. I don't think you can. I couldn't add anything. I would just yeah. bask in it. <laughs> I think my favourite partridge moment is the, the tax gag they do on air. You know when, yeah, and he, he just slightly panics a little bit more, and then he realises it's a wind up, <laughs> <laughs> and he just loses his shit. It is so funny. It's yeah. so funny. Mm-hmm. My, I think one of my favourite ever lines though is that when he's reading out um, the the fact, oh god, when he's doing his radio show in the sitcom, so his early morning radio show, and somebody has written in saying uh, that they've got, what is it, he's married with two lovely children and he believes that after death there is nothing. (laughs) Oh my God, in a joke, that is the perfect joke. It's the way it's set up as, oh, isn't that lovely, full of life, beautiful, and then just nothing. There is nothing after life, after after death. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing, yeah. I mean, what, I mean, what advice? I guess, sort of finish up. Like, what advice would you you give people that want to start writing comedy that aren't they just haven't got an idea? They actually are going to to write it. <laughs> I mean, what advice would you would you give to someone that go? Well, I've I've got this idea. I've been working on it, and I've been writing it. I haven't, you know, that's a lot of people. A lot of people say to me, "Oh, but you you've got you've got you've kind of got it in. You've kind of got you know the right people that you can kind of send stuff to." I don't I don't know that, and I you know, and it's good. Well, I do do, but it wasn't. 
always that's the case. I've kind of got into a situation where I've met really cool people through through writing because I started to write, and that's I kind of just say just write, just write and get and make contacts. But I, I mean, I don't know what you would say to people that perhaps they've got a really funny sitcom and they're writing on something and they're working on an idea. What advice would you give to those people? Uh, writers' room, the BBC writers' room. I think that's an incredible resource, and also you can get scripts on there. And I think one of the best tips I could give somebody who is starting out is if you like comedy or your favourite comedies, read the scripts if you can get your hands on them. And there's a lot, there's loads on them, uh, the BBC Writers' Room. Um, just read them. And it's really enjoyable because you, as you read, you can see them in your head. If you know them off, you know, if you know them really well, like the Fleabug scripts are amazing, uh, obviously, but it's so enjoyable. And then... And you start to learn how a script looks on paper and how it works on paper and how you yourself can add, can write in, in that kind of rhythm and how visual things work and how, and what, you know, what doesn't work as well, what you don't enjoy and what you think, oh, that's a bit, what, how does that look then? And it just, it's such a, it's such a thing that you can do independently on your own. It's proper studying the form and the art of it, I think. But something that's really enjoyable and that is a good resource I would also contact them they're always running competitions they're always running little you know send in the first 10 pages of your script and we're looking for northern writers we're looking for Welsh writers we're looking for young writers there's always something going on um and then BBC Newsjack is brilliant on Radio 4 they're always looking for new writers and you get I think is it I can't remember, but you get a small fee for any gag or sketch that you get put on. Um, but even if you don't, if you keep applying, they're so warm and welcoming. If What happens is if you get quite a few gags on, or maybe a sketch that is maybe worked up a bit by the cast and, and writers in the, in the office, they will invite you in for a day, or is it a day or two? I can't remember, to write on an entire show to write a few gags and sketches. And that's how you get to meet people. That's how you get to write, uh, you know, meet other writers. And you just get to become part of like a community. And that's how you find out about opportunities and, you know, other programs that are looking for writers. So that's how it starts, really. Mm -hmm. That seed, isn't it? It's meeting people and... And then they'll know, oh, that guy was really good, actually. I find him really funny, and I think there's potential there. So then they'll get in touch with you. That's how you do it. Yeah. And what what would you say is the best advice that you, I suppose, that you've been given, you know, over your time writing? That, the, the advice I got given before I went to the BBC um, comedy producer interview was the best that I personally have, because I have this, it's kind of, I think a lot of, especially young women have it, this thing of, oh, I can't um, take up people's time. You know, that kind of, oh, no, I don't want to bother them. And I think a lot of people feel like this. That sort of, oh, no, but I'll be wasting their time and I'll be, I'll be bothering them, so I won't. Well, I'll, no, I won't. I won't impose on them. Whereas um, she's Canadian, so she has a very different attitude. <laughs> but she was like, oh, my God, just go in. You know, really confident. Go in, meet them impress them and then because that's how you do it you meet people so if you ever get a chance to meet somebody take it that's such good advice and don't think oh no I have to be perfect and I'm not quite perfect for this job or that's not how it works 
<laughs> That's not how yeah, it works. Yeah. And your writing doesn't need to be perfect either. You just need to, you just need um, to get their attention and then be really helpful, you know, and show that you're that you have potential. I think. Yeah. Well, it's been amazing talking to you um, this evening. It's been great. I can't wait to see more of your work on the screen. It's going to be happening, and your and your novel. I can't wait to check that out. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah. Take care. And you. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to Sean for coming on. Um, yeah, really great to talk to her. Um, she was so much fun. Um, be sure to check out Sean's work and um, follow her on social media. She's a really great person to, um, you know, you, you like those people that kind of make you smile and chuckle to follow on Twitter and things like that. So, yeah, I really recommend following Sean on her social media pages and learn more about her work for sure. Um, be sure to follow us out on social media as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Shapes of Stories. You can follow me on Twitter at LPrestige7. Our Instagram page at Prestige Books. And you can follow me on the Facebook page, Lawrence Prestige, and the Facebook page of the Shapes of Stories. But thanks, guys, for tuning in, and I'll see you again next time.